Book Four, Canto Seven of the Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Canto Seven. Amoret, trapped by greedy lust, Belphoebe saves from dread. The squire her loves, and being blamed, his days in dole doth lead. Great God of love, that with thy cruel darts dost conquer greatest conquerors on ground, and sets thy kingdom in the captive hearts of kings and keezers to thy service bound, what glory or what guerdon hast thou found in feeble ladies tyranning so sore, and adding anguish to the bitter wound with which their lives thou launchedst long afore by heaping storms of trouble on them daily more? So whilom didst thou to fair Florimel, and so and so to noble Britomart, so dost thou now to her of whom I tell the lovely Amoret, whose gentle heart thou martyrest with sorrow and with smart in salvage forests and in deserts wide, with bears and tigers taking heavy part, without in comfort and without in guide, that pity is to hear the perils which she tried. So soon as she with that brave Britoness had left that tournament, for beauty's prize, they travelled long, that now for weariness, both of the way and warlike exercise, both through a forest riding did devise to light, and rest their weary limbs a while. There heavy sleep the eyelids did surprise of Britomart, after long tedious toil, that did her passed pains in quiet rest assoil. The whiles fair Amoret, of naught afeard, walked through the wood for pleasure or for need when suddenly behind her back she heard one rushing forth out of the thickest weed, that ere she back could turn to take an heed, had unawares her snatched up from ground. Feebly she shrieked, but so feebly indeed, that Britomart heard not the shrilling sound, there where through weary travel she lay sleeping sound. It was to wheat a wild and savage man, Yet was no man, but only like in shape, and eke in stature, higher by a span, all overgrown with hair, that could awape an hardy heart, and his wide mouth did gape with huge great teeth, like to a tusked boar, for he lived all on raven and on rape of men and beasts, and fed on fleshly gore, the sign whereof yet stained his bloody lips afore. His nether lip was not like man or beast, but like a wide deep poke, down hanging low, in which he want the relics of his feast, and cruel spoil, which he had spared, to stow. And over it his huge great nose did grow, full dreadfully empurpled all with blood, and down both sides two wide long ears did glow, and rot down to his waist, when up he stood, more great than the ears of elephants by Indus flood. His waist was with a wreath of ivy green and girt about, nay other garment wore, for all his hair was like a garment seen, and in his hand a tall young oak he bore, whose knotty snags were sharpened all afore, and breathed in fire for steel to be instead. But whence he was, or of what wombibore of beasts, or of the earth, I have not read, but certes was with milk of wolves and tigers fed, this ugly creature in his arms her snatched and through the forest bore her quite away, with briars and bushes all to rent and scratched. Ne care he had, ne pity of the prey, 
which many a night had sought so many a day. He stayed not, but in his arms her bearing ran till he came to the end of all his way unto his cave, far from all people's hearing. And there he threw her in, not feeling, nay, not fearing. For she, dear lady, all the way was dead whilst he in arms her bore. But when she felt herself down soused, she waked out of dread straight into grief that her dear heart nigh swelt, and eft gan into tender tears to melt. Then when she looked about, and nothing found but darkness and dread horror, where she dwelt, she almost fell again into a swound, no wist whether above she were or underground. With that she heard someone close by her side sighing and sobbing sore, as if the pain her tender heart in pieces would divide, which she long listening softly asked again what mr white it was that so did plain to whom thus answered was ah wretched white that seeks to know another's grief in vain unweeting of thine own like hapless plight self to forget to mind another is oversight ay me said she where am i or with whom among the living or among the dead what shall of me unhappy maid become? Shall death be then, or aught else worse, a reed? Unhappy maid, then answered she, whose dread, untried, is less than when thou shalt it try. Death is to him that wretched life doth lead both grace and gain, but he in hell doth lie that lives a loathed life, and wishing cannot die. This dismal day hath thee a caitiff maid and vassal to the vilest wretch alive, whose cursed usage and ungodly trade the heavens abhor and into darkness drive. For on the spoil of women he doth live, whose bodies chaste, whenever in his power he may them catch, unable to gain strive, he with his shameful lust doth first deflower, and afterwards themselves doth cruelly devour. Now twenty days, by which the sons of men divide their works, have passed through heaven's sheen since I was brought into this doleful den, during which space these sorry eyes have seen seven women by him slain and eaten clean. And now no more for him but I alone and this old woman here remaining been, till thou camest hither to augment our moan, and of us three to-morrow he will sure eat one. Ah, dreadful tidings which thou dost declare, quoth she, of all that ever hath been known. Full many great calamities, and rare this feeble breast endured hath, but none equal to this, wherever I have gone. But what are you, whom like unlucky lot hath linked with me in the same chain at home? To tell, quoth she, that which ye see needs not. A woeful, wretched maid, of God and man forgot. But what I was, it irks me to rehearse. Daughter unto a lord of high degree, That joyed in happy peace, Till fates perverse with guileful love Did secretly agree To overthrow my state and dignity. It was my lot to love a gentle swain, Yet was he but a squire of low degree. Yet was he meet, unless mine eye did feign, by any lady's side for lemon to have lain. But for his meanness and disparagement, my sire, whom he too dearly well did love, 
unto my choice by no means would assent, but often did my folly foul reprove. Yet nothing could my fixed mind remove, but whether willed or nilled, friend or foe, I me resolved the utmost end to prove, and rather than my love abandon so, both sire and friends and all for ever to forego. Thenceforth I sought by secret means to work time to my will, and from his wrathful sight to hide the intent which in my heart did lurk, till I thereto had all things ready dight. So on a day unweeting unto white, I with that squire agreed a way to flit, and in a privy place, betwixt us height, within a grove appointed him to meet, to which I boldly came upon my feeble feet. But ah, unhappy hour me thither brought, for in that place where I him thought to find, there was I found, contrary to my thought, of this accursed carl of hellish kind, the shame of men and plague of womankind, who, trussing me as eagle doth his prey, me hither brought with him, as swift as wind. Where yet untouched till this present day I rest his wretched thrall, the sad Emilie. Ah, sad Emilia, then said Amoret, thy rueful plight I pity as mine own. But read to me, by what device or wit hast thou in all this time from him unknown thine honor saved, though into thraldom thrown? Through help, quoth she, of this old woman here I have so done, as she to me hath shown. For ever, when he burnt in lustful fire, she in my stead supplied his bestial desire. Thus of their evils, as they did discourse, and each did other much bewail and moan, lo, where the villain self, their sorrow's source, came to the cave, and rolling thence the stone, which went to stop the mouth thereof, that none might issue forth, came rudely rushing in, and spreading over all the floor alone, gan dight himself unto his wanted sin, which ended then his bloody banquet should begin. Which, when his fearful amoret perceived, she stayed not that most end thereof to try, but like a ghastly gelt, whose wits are reeved, ran forth in haste with hideous outcry for horror of his shameful villainy. But after her, full lightly, he uprose, and her pursued as fast as she did fly. Full fast she flies, and far afore him goes, ne feels the thorns and thickets prick her tender toes. Nor hedge, nor ditch, nor hill, nor dale she stays, but overleaps them all like roebuck light, and through the thickest makes her nighest ways. And evermore when with regardful sight she, looking back, espies that grisly white approaching nigh, she gins to mend her pace, and makes her fear a spur to haste her flight. More swift than Myrrh or Daphne in her race, or any of the Thracian nymphs in salvage chase, Long so she fled, and so he followed long. A living aid for her on earth appears, but if the heavens help to redress her wrong, move it with pity of her plenteous tears. It fortuned, Belphoebe, with her peers, the woody nymphs, and with that lovely boy, was hunting then the liverds and the bears in these wild woods, as was her wonted joy, to banish sloth that oft doth noble minds annoy. It so befell, as oft it falls in chase, that each of them from other sundered were. And that same gentle squire arrived in place, where this same cursed caitive did appear, 
pursuing that fair lady full of fear. And now he her quite overtaken had, and now he her away with him did bear under his arm as seeming wondrous glad, that by his grinning laughter mote far off to rad. Which dreary sight the gentle squire espying, doth haste to cross him by the nearest way, led by that woeful lady's piteous crying, and him assails with all the might he may, yet will not he the lovely spoil down lay, but with his craggy club in his right hand defends himself, and saves his gotten prey. Yet had it been right hard him to withstand, but that he was full light and nimble on the land. Thereto the villain used craft in fight, for ever when the squire his javelin shook, he held the lady forth before him right, and with her body as a buckler broke the puissance of his intended stroke. And if it chanced, as needs it must in fight, whilst he on him was greedy to be roke, that any little blow on her did light, then would he laugh aloud and gather great delight. Which subtle slight did him encumber much, and made him oft when he would strike forbear, for hardly could he come the carl to touch, but that he her must hurt, or hazard near. Yet he his hand so carefully did bear, that at the last he did himself attain, and therein left the pike-head of his spear. A stream of coal-black blood thence gushed amain, that all her silken garments did with blood bestain. With that he threw her rudely on the floor, and laying both his hands upon his glaive, with dreadful strokes let drive at him so sore that forced him fly aback himself to save. Yet he therewith so fellly still did rave, that scarce the squire his hand could once uprear, but for advantage ground unto him gave, tracing and traversing now here and now there, for bootless thing it was to think such blows to bear. Whilst thus in battle they embusied were, while Phoebe, ranging in that forest wide, the hideous noise of their huge strokes did hear, and drew thereto, making her ear her guide. Whom, when that thief approaching nigh espied, with bow in hand and arrows ready bent, he by his former combat would not bide, but fled away with ghastly dreariment, well knowing her to be his death's sole instrument. Whom seeing fly, she speedily pursued with winged feet as nimble as the wind, and ever in her bow she ready shewed the arrow to his deadly mark designed, as when Latona's daughter cruel kind, in vengement of her mother's great disgrace, with fell despite her cruel arrows tined gainst woeful Niobe's unhappy race, that all the gods did moan her miserable case. So well she sped her, and so far she ventured, that ere unto his hellish den he wrought, even as he ready was there to have entered, she sent an arrow forth with mighty draught, that in the very door him overcaught, and in his nape arriving, through it thrilled his greedy throat, therewith in two distraught, that all his vital spirits thereby spilled, and all his hairy breast with gory blood was filled. Whom when on ground she grovelling saw to roll, she ran in haste his life to have bereft, but ere she could him reach, the sinful soul, having his carrion course quite senseless left, was fled to hell, surcharged with spoil and theft. Yet over him she there long gazing stood, and oft admired his monstrous shape, and oft his mighty limbs, 
whilst all with filthy blood the place there overflown seemed like a sudden flood thenceforth she passed into his dreadful den where naught but darksome dreariness she found ne creature saw but hearkened now and then some little whispering and soft groaning sound with that she asked what ghosts there underground lay hid in horror of eternal night and bade them if so be they were not bound to come and show themselves before the light now freed from fear and danger of that dismal white then forth the sad amelia issued yet trembling every joint through former fear and after her the hag there with her mewed a foul and loathsome creature did appear a lemon fit for such a lover dear that moved belphoebe her no less to hate than for to rue the other's heavy cheer of whom she gan inquire of her estate who all to her at large as happened did relate thence she them brought toward the place where late she left the gentle squire with amoret there she him found by that new lovely mate who lay the whiles in swoon full sadly set from her fair eyes wiping the dewy wet which softly stilled and kissing them atween and handling soft the hurts which she did get for of that carl she sorely bruised had been alls of his own rash hand one wound was to be seen which when she saw with sudden glancing eye her noble heart with sight thereof was filled with deep disdain and great indignity that in her wrath she thought them both have thrilled with that self-arrow which the carl had killed yet held her wrathful hand from vengeance sore but drawing nigh ere she her well beheld is this the faith she said and said no more but turned her face and fled away for evermore he seeing her depart arose up light right sore aggrieved at her sharp reproof and followed fast but when he came in sight he durst not nigh approach but kept aloof for dread of her displeasure's utmost proof and evermore when he did grace entreat and framed speeches fit for his behoof her mortal arrows she at him did threat and forced him back with foul dishonor to retreat at last when long he followed had in vain yet found no ease of grief nor hope of grace unto those woods he turned back again full of sad anguish and in heavy case and finding there fit solitary place for woeful wight chose out a gloomy glade where hardly i mote see bright heaven's face for mossy trees which covered all with shade and sad melancholy there he his cabin made his wanted warlike weapons all he broke and threw away with vow to use no more ne thenceforth ever strike in battle stroke ne ever word to speak to woman more but in that wilderness of men forlore and of the wicked world forgotten quite his hard mishap in dolor to deplore and waste his wretched days in woeful plight so on himself to wreak his folly's own despite and eke his garment to be there to meet he wilfully did cut and shape anew and his fair locks that want with ointment sweet to be embalmed and sweat out dainty dew he let to grow 
and grisly to concrube, uncombed, uncurled, and carelessly unshed, that in short time his face they overgrew, and over all his shoulders did dispread, that who he whilom was, uneath was to be read. There he continued in this careful plight, wretchedly wearing out his youthly years, through wilful penury consumed quite, that like a pined ghost he soon appears, for other food than that wild forest bears, nay other drink there did he ever taste than running water, tempered with his tears, the more his weakened body so to waste, that out of all men's knowledge he was worn at last. For on a day by fortune as it fell, his own dear lord Prince Arthur came that way, seeking adventures, where he mote here tell. And as he through the wandering wood did stray, having espied this cabin far away, he to it drew, to wit who there did one, weaning therein some holy hermit lay, that did resort of sinful people shun, or else some woodman shrouded there from scorching sun. Arriving there, he found this wretched man spending his days in dolor and despair, and through long fasting waxen pale and wan, all overgrown with rude and rugged hair, that albeit his own dear squire he were, yet he him knew not, ne avised at all, but like strange wight, whom he had seen nowhere saluting him, gan into speech to fall, and pity much his plight that lived like outcast thrall. But to his speech he answered no whit, but stood still mute, as if he had been dumb. Ne sign of sense did shew, ne common wit, as one with grief and anguish overcome. And unto everything did answer, Mum. And ever when the prince unto him spake, he louted lowly, as did him become, and humble homage did unto him make, midst sorrow showing joyous semblance for his sake. At which his uncouth guise and usage quaint the prince did wonder much, yet could not guess the cause of that his sorrowful constraint. Yet weaned by secret signs of manliness, which close appeared in that rude brutishness, that he whilom some gentle swain had been, trained up in feats of arms and knightliness, which he observed by that he him had seen to weld his naked sword, and try the edges keen. And eke by that he saw on every tree how he the name of one engraven had, which likely was his liefest love to be, for whom he now so sorely was bestead, which was by him Belphoebe rightly read. Yet who was that Belphoebe he ne wist, yet saw he often how he wexed glad when he had heard, and how the ground he kissed wherein it written was, and how himself he blissed. Though when he long had marked his demeanour, and saw that all he said and did was vain, nay aught mote make him change his wonted tenor, nay aught mote ease or mitigate his pain, he left him there in languor to remain, till time for him should remedy provide, and him restore to former grace again. Which, for it is too long here to abide, I will defer the end until another tide. End of Canto 7 Recording by Thomas Copeland